0: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: Although the development of nuclear weapons by different countries was one of the reasons why extraterrestrial civilizations began visiting Earth in the World War II era, a more significant and far-reaching explanation exists. However, the truth was not shared for decades due to its disturbing nature. Only today do we know the whole truth. The Earth had become the epicenter of a temporal war involving a future galactic tyranny, whose origin lay in a secret agreement reached by Nazi Germany with a group of extraterrestrials called Draco-Reptilians. This agreement resulted in establishing a breakaway German colony in Antarctica that soon gave birth to the nefarious Dark Fleet, the Nackwaffens which aligns itself with the Draco's master plan for galactic conquest. After detecting the sudden emergence of galactic tyranny 350 years in the future, a group of extraterrestrials known as the Andromeda Council notified the Galactic Federation of Worlds and other freedom-loving extraterrestrial organizations about the threat posed by contemporary events happening on Earth, its moon and Mars. Thus, a temporal war began involving different extraterrestrial federations, councils, and secret space programs, each striving to steer long-term events on Earth to prevent or bring about this sweeping tyranny that could overtake the galaxy. Both sides have used time travel technologies to influence key individuals, events, and movements on Earth. Operatives from each side have been embedded into different countries, especially aerospace companies, to help humans build advanced technologies for different secret space programs. Today, we are witnessing the final stages of this decades-long temporal war involving multiple timelines that compete, coexist, and ultimately converge with one another. As we approach the end of this temporal war, with the Earth as the epicenter of what would have been a future galactic tyranny, the truth is emerging about these events, and the different galactic groups and organizations that have played significant roles. This program is dedicated to all those brave contactees who faced ridicule, censorship, and retaliation for revealing the truth about face-to-face encounters with extraterrestrial visitors.
0: You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel. Want to be a guest on this radio program have a guest suggestion or have feedback just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com and if you're listening on youtube like subscribe and share it and click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available and now here's your host mel hostelrick
1: tonight's special guest is dr michael sal an internationally recognized scholar in international politics conflict resolution and U.S. foreign policy with a Ph.D. in government from the University of Queensland, Australia. During his academic career, he was author and editor of four books focusing on international politics. Tharsisala is a pioneer in the development of exopolitics, the study of the main actors, institutions, and political processes associated with extraterrestrial life. He is the founder of the Exopolitics Institute and the Exopolitics Journal. His most recent book is titled Galactic Federations, Councils, and Secret Space Programs. It is book number seven of the Secret Space Program series. Dr. Sala will give a grand tour of the different extraterrestrial groups and secret space programs involved in the temporal war that has been silently raging around us. Unknown to most of humanity, importantly, he will highlight current events leading to the fulfillment of a very positive and exciting Star Trek future. Where humanity joins the galactic community. His website is exopolitics.org, and Dr. Michael Salad joins us from his new home in East Tennessee. Hello, Michael, and welcome back. How are you? Thanks, Mel. Great to be back on the show. Michael, from the ocean to the eastern part, central part of the United States, what
2: was the reason for the switching homes? Oh, very sad. Unfortunately, uh, Hawaii has changed a lot with the um, COVID policies. Um, the policies have uh, really led to people becoming very unpleasant. If you don't go with the narrative, if uh, if you don't uh, choose to mask up, don't choose to get the vaccine, uh, then um, you, you you I mean, you can get persecuted and uh, it, you can be attacked um, verbally. Um, ostracized, and uh, yeah, it's it's become very unpleasant. And unfortunately, it didn't look like it was going to change. So we decided let's let's get out of here and let's go someplace where freedom reigns. And uh, Tennessee is fantastic. Uh, I mean, there's none of that. I mean, people are free to choose. The state doesn't intervene. It's it's not a nanny state here. It's people look out for themselves, and the state does the minimal stuff policing infrastructure and so forth but uh, people are left to look after each you know themselves and each other
1: same things happening in another state actually a colony puerto rico same thing it's almost as if covid started yesterday and getting worse there so i'm not going to get into this because this is a totally different topic but it seems that islands uh, the leaders seem to become more dictatorial than in the continental united states
2: I don't know why that is, Mel. I mean, you would think Hawaii um, would, would be probably the, the most liberal yes. when it comes to these kinds of policies. I mean, it's in the tropics, surrounded by huge ocean, healthy air, uh, people get lots of sunshine. I mean, these are optimal conditions for keeping healthy, but yet they, they actually do the opposite. They get people to go inside, lock them down, mask up. It's, it's, it's crazy.
1: So, Michael. Great book, new book. Congratulations. What is your goal with the new book, Galactic Federations, Councils, and Secret Space Programs? What is your goal, and is the Secret Space Program still secret?
2: Well, yes, this is really a huge topic, Mel. I was interested in uh, extraterrestrials uh, for ever since I saw the Disclosure Project press conference in 2001, and I, I began actively researching the different extraterrestrial groups that were here, and they there's a lot of evidence for each each one. You know, you have people talking about visitors from the Pleiades, visitors from the Sirius star system, visitors from Andromeda. You know, so you have a, a variety of different constellations and origins of these different extraterrestrial visitors. And, and so that was something uh, I got quite a bit of information on early on when I began doing my exopolitics research and, and did write a book about it uh, that came out in 2009, Galactic Diplomacy. But I could never get a handle on what are the organisations because it, it makes sense that extraterrestrials would be organised politically just as we are. I mean, if you look at the history of... Um, Humanity. I mean, uh, we went through history and then it was, uh, through a series of wars. And then after these devastating wars, there would be times when organizations would be set up to maintain the peace. So you have like, in Europe, after the Napoleonic Wars, you had the Concert of Europe. After the First World War, you had the League of Nations. After the Second World War, you had the United Nations. So I figured, well, the extraterrestrials, I mean, they seem to have gone through their histories of war. So what organizations are out there? So that's when I began to really kind of like focus on different extraterrestrial civilizations that are out there. And as I began to look at that and, and was committed to writing a book about it, then I was able to kind of pick out different historical uh, places where these different races were talked about.
1: And what about the secret space program? Do you think it is still secret or is there a connection between that and the U.S. Space Force?
2: Definitely there's a big connection between Space Force and U.S. Space Command uh, because it's a little complicated because Space Force is was set up as a brand new service to deal with space and space command is a, a brand new command set up to organize and collate together all of the different military services' space assets. So it's not just the U.S. Air Force that had satellites and things in space. The Navy had them, even the Army had some satellites, and 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 so this is what space command does. It it brings together aggregates all of the different services in terms of their space resources and assets and creates a unified military command so space force is in charge of training and logistics when it comes to space and space command actually is the one that runs the operations and and so you know as to the question well what about the secret space program i think what we're witnessing right now is unprecedented, Mel, because the uh, the secret space programs go back many decades, and they were all very highly classified. But once Space Force was set up and Space Command was reconstituted, uh, because it, it had earlier existed from 1985 to 2002, and then it was um, disbanded um, as a, one of the top 10 combatant commands, and now it's... In 2019, it was reconstituted. So now uh, there is an actual infrastructure within the U.S. military to bring together all of the classified space programs that the Air Force ran, that the Navy ran, the Marines also were involved, um, NASA had their own space program. So all of these things that were all being developed Across the different services, all on very limited bases, can now be brought under U.S. Space Force for a, a very different goal. So, you know, for for example, the Secret Space Program, uh, when that was being run by the Air Force, they they would run covert operations with it or do surveillance with it, uh, because those those were the only things that were deemed to be. Important for the secret space program, as far as the Air Force was concerned. Well, now Space Force and Space Command, they they are responsible for warfighting, and that's that's new. That's new because up until the creation of Space Force and Space Command, the U.S. military thinking was that space was a benign environment. You know, that's what the United Nations. Uh, Treaty, uh, the Outer Space Treaty, said that space was a benign environment, it didn't belong to any nation, and it, weapons of mass destruction weren't allowed on in space and you couldn't build military bases on the moon and elsewhere. So space was de- deemed to be a, per- a benign environment, but that changed with the creation of Space Command and Space Force because space was reconstituted as a warfighting domain. So that means that rather than having just um, like uh, several squadrons, you know, three squadrons or whatever for doing covert operations or space surveillance missions, now you need 300 squadrons because it's a, it has a, a warfighting purpose. And so that's that's the big difference. So that's what we're witnessing now is that Space Force and Space Command are redesignating all of the covert assets that the different military branches had set up and integrating them and putting them in place in an integrated way so that way at some point they can announce that we have this incredible space force that has been developed Using anti-gravity technologies, and and, they, and this is where they're going to, you know, the big lie is going to be that this is all something that has been recently that that has recently happened, that they can say since 2019, Space Force was able to work with its partners, and this is what we've been able to build. But of course, they won't say anything that these technologies were around uh, 30, even 40 years ago, and were being used. For COVID operations, they won't say anything about that. They'll make out that this is all new. But you know, that's that's what I predict.
1: Well, what you said, the big lie. I'm just thinking of World War One. Why do we get before World War One? We get the the Wright brothers, who you know, the plane, uh, all of a sudden becomes commercialized. It becomes a, a war tool, a weapon. Then we get World War Two. It's almost as if they're always creating something to make a profit out of it. And would it be that they have all this technology out there to finally say, yeah, we have all this stuff because there's an enemy from outside of this world, just like what famous words from Ronald Reagan in front of the United Nations. Do you think that's one of the purposes
2: of this? Um, It's very interesting. You know, this takes us to the question of, uh, white Hats versus the, the Black Hats. I mean, the Black Hats or the Deep State, if you want to call them that, they are the ones that wanted to keep all this under wraps. They, they didn't want uh, Space Force to change its strategic doctrine. Um, in fact, uh, when Donald Trump came to power, one of the things that he did uh, is that he started to talk up Space Force and he started to say, "Well, space force would be very important for fight, fighting future wars in space." Now, at the time, the secretary of the Air Force it was a lady uh, called Heather Wilson, and she put she put a gag order on air, senior Air Force officers, saying that they could not talk about space as a warfighting domain. And you know, and that that really meant that. Senior Air Force officials were muzzled uh, because they couldn't talk about the the need for a new military service or a dedicated military service because space uh, was was not designated to be a warfighting domain and and that that was something that Trump changed and uh, he basically forced Heather Wilson to resign because she was opposed to the creation of space force as was the secretary of the of defense at the time james mattis also was opposed to the creation of space force so it's, so to me what that suggested was that the deep state didn't want Space Force to be created because they knew if a dedicated military space uh, service was set up, they would do the natural thing, which is that, well, you know, what is our field of responsibility? Well, we're designed to, to, to win wars. So our responsibility is space. We're designed to win wars, so we are going to put together the assets we need to win future wars in space. So the deep state didn't want this to happen. And I think the reason was is that they didn't want the U.S. to be prepared for what's to come. I I think the deep state, as you well know, uh, is very uh, meticulous with its long-term planning. And it it likes to do things in a way that surprises uh, people. It doesn't like uh, people to be prepared and do things in a kind of sensible, harmonious way. And so so Trump kind of interrupted their plans, uh, which I think probably did involve some kind of, uh, well, keeping everything secret as far as secret space programs were concerned, and maybe in the future organizing some space attack. But now, because Space Force and Space Command have have set up and they're becoming uh, more institutionalized and more uh, prepared by the day... If the deep state tries to pull off some kind of false flag space event, it, it, it's going to be much more difficult than it was before. Let's
1: talk about the possibility of a false flag. And I don't mean to give anyone any ideas, but this has been the last card in progress for a very long time. First communism, you know the whole story, Carol Russen and uh, the Dr. Carol Russen and Werner uh, von Braun. We know of Project Bluebeam. We know that the mainstream media cabal is talking about this, taking it seriously for the first time in I don't know how many decades. Do you think they're preparing for some kind of false flag in the future to unite the world's military to, again, fight a, a fake enemy from outside of this world?
2: I think uh, when we look at the way the mainstream media is, is treating the... UFO uh, or UAP as they call it now, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena as the, the way they're treating it as this unknown threat that they have no information about other than it, these are able to fly around aircraft carriers and military facilities and have speeds that are essentially represent some new breakthrough technology that the US doesn't have. So they're they're trying to make out that these UAPs are an unknown threat, and that they could belong to China, they could belong to Russia, or they could be extraterrestrial. And I think they're doing that strategically to just kind of like set the stage. And and of course, you know, you have the Pentagon now having set up a a, a permanent study group with the uh, Office of the Director of National Intelligence that now is looking into. Uh, unidentified error phenomena, and that they are now going to be giving reports to Congress. And, and they just gave a report about three weeks ago, the first report to Congress in, in over 50 years. The, the last report to the U.S. Congress about UFOs was in 1968. And so they just had one now in, in 2022. In um, And so that that is, we're talking kind of like, uh, I mean, over six, over 50 years, over 50 years since the last congressional hearings on UFOs, so what's what's changed? And I I think what's we re- witnessing now is the ramp up to some kind of announcement. And and this and this is where we we start to look at uh, what the mainstream media's position is on the UFOs. They're describing them as um, threats. I mean, this is the way. The mainstream media is depicting them i mean uh, i I actually had one of my old interviews uh, dug up by a main uh, i think it was the Daily star in Britain uh, one of the tabloids there and this was a a interview I did back in i think it was around two thousand and four nearly twenty years ago, and they kind of just you know took out a little bit extracted a little bit where i 'm talking about reptilian extraterrestrials and so the whole story was about. A uh, former professor believes that uh, Earth is about is faces a threat from reptilian extraterrestrials. So that was the story that they put out, the Daily Star, to their whatever it is millions of readers, and and you find similar things happening elsewhere. So I I think that the deep state is preparing people for some kind of alien attack, and exactly how that's going to take place what will be involved in that I mean I, I can guess but I'm, I'm pretty sure that the, the fact that space force has been set up that that really does make it very difficult for the deep state to try and pull it off but you know then again yeah you know, they're they are they're like a desperate animal that's been cornered and they might do the unpredictable unrealistic thing and and that might be to try and convince people that we're being attacked by off-world uh, beings.
1: I have an interesting system in, in our platform, Michael, that when I air different topics, but especially the exopolitical topic, subject, I can see who's visiting our websites. And most of the time, when I air your shows or somebody else who discusses the topic, I can see .dot .mil, Air Force, you name it, Uh, CIA, FBI, you can see where the IPs are coming from. Or when I discuss health, I can see CDC, FDA. They're paying attention to what we're saying. What do you think they're trying to learn from you or from anybody else who discusses this topic?
2: Well, what they're trying to learn is what the more positive extraterrestrials are doing about everything. Because this is one of the things that the military-industrial complex doesn't have intelligence about. They they have very poor intelligence on positive extraterrestrials, especially the more highly evolved ones, the ones that uh, were involved in the seeding of humanity going back 500,000 years, the ones that are... Uh, like higher-dimensional beings that maybe interact with inner-earth civilizations, very highly evolved beings. I mean, if you look at the Kardashev scale, again, you have type 1, type 2, type 3 extraterrestrial civilizations. You know, this would be like type 3 civilizations. and And they don't really interact with the U.S. military, but they interact with private civilians. They interact with people who have a very high vibration, typically – Uh, You know, very sweet-natured, loving people, very ethical. And these are the ones that the extraterrestrials will interact with. And they tell them things. They share things with them. And so these are the people that I look for, that I I get intel from. And, you know, in my book, uh, the Galactic uh, Federations and Councils book, I mean, I talk about quite a number of these contactees that the extraterrestrials Uh, interacting with and sharing information with. So that's what the intelligence community and the military is most interested in, because, you know, they know very well what UAPs are and UFOs are. They're not interested in our statistical analyses of UFOs and comparing, you know, uh, the latest sightings with sightings going back 20, 30 years. I mean, that's old hat to them, but they're interested in you know who's here from andromeda who's here from uh the pleiades and uh you know what what is this uh, galactic federation doing and and what is this uh, council of nine doing those are the things that they want to know and so that's why they tune in
1: not to deviate, but this that the news came out today you probably have seen it already this came from bloomberg and the title of the article is china says it may have detected signals from alien civilizations and they have a, a gigantic radio telescope named sky eye have you followed the news
2: yes i saw that i think um, china's signaling that it's uh, it's getting restless it's ready to roll out its advanced technology you know china China has been working on a secret space program for a long time, but there has always been these agreements uh, between government leaders to keep all this secret until such time as it's decided to unveil this to the rest of the planet. And China stands to gain, along with India, the most from the release of these advanced technologies. Because you just think about it. I mean, you release advanced technologies such as, uh, free energy and, of course, anti-gravity, free, uh, free health, like advanced health, um, holistic um, healing technologies and so forth. The China and India, because they've got populations of about 1.4 billion each, if you had free energy, that would mean they could put their entire populations to work with unlimited energy, creating and building advanced technologies and and becoming the dominant powers on Earth. And that's something that uh, other countries such as the Europeans and the United States, uh, they're very aware of this. So this is part of the reason I think that they've been trying to um, slow down the release of these advanced technologies. And and also because, you know, for the usual reasons that if you released these kinds of uh New propulsion technologies or any free energy technologies and healing technologies that would mean that the pharmaceutical industry the fossil fuel industry uh, that these industries would disappear overnight that and, and it would take if you didn 't prepare for it uh, you you would you would have a, a kind of well you, you could have a societal collapse, so this is why that they want to kind of keep it all slow but I think china 's indicating hey. Uh, we we know the extraterrestrials are, are here. They're wanting us to disclose. So what's the holdup? And if you don't do it, we're going to do it. And and I think China and Russia, uh, Brazil, you know the B R I C S nations. I think that they're going to stake out a, a completely new foreign policy. If and so this I think is pressuring the Europeans and and the U S to kind of get their act together and and come out come up with some kind of disclosure uh, network or disclosure scenario. But, of course, for the deep state, you know, they want to pull off a false flag. They want to scare people, want to make it as chaotic as possible. Uh, for the white hats in the U.S. and for the for the Chinese and the Indians and others, you know, they want to do it all in a kind of responsible, gradual way so that the whole planet uh, is is able to kind of move forward in a in a collective way. And, and become a really powerful space force to be reckoned with.
1: Well, China is known for being a great copycat. They they can steal, they can copy, and they can make it even better. And you probably have heard of their, what's called the mother ship, or their aircraft carrier that is unmanned. The leak came out a few days ago. I don't think there's any such leak. I think if they leaked it, they leaked it on purpose to, to let the other... So-called enemies uh, or competitors know what they have, but this is an unmanned aircraft carrier full of UAVs. So, if this is what China has, what do we have?
2: Well, I haven't seen that. I know China is building a- aircraft carriers, and you know their shipbuilding facilities are are much more efficient than than the U.S. I mean, the U.S. only has one. Shipbuilding facility now for aircraft carriers. I think that's Newport News, and, um, and and that's the only one that they have. Whereas China has several large shipbuilding facilities for building aircraft carriers, and and China's navy is now the world's biggest. So they went, uh, they, they very quickly modernized, and so so they're doing the same thing in space, and and that was also another factor for the creation of space force. Was that it was understood that China was developing a very powerful space force behind the scenes, and so uh, the U.S. military said, "Hey, we, you know, we've got to get our, our act together, and we've got to have a dedicated military service in space to deal with a future threat by China." Because right right now, China is still in the kind of uh, modernization and acquisition phase in terms of these advanced. Space technologies, but come 2030, uh, China uh, now with uh, the way they're using AI will will be able to kind of like really buy for space dominance. And and this is something that was studied. Uh, there was in 2019 a study conducted by um, the forerunner to Space, uh, space Force, which was uh, at the time US Air Force Space Command. Um, that organized a seminar in 2019, Space Futures, and they they recognized that there were eight possible scenarios for what would happen in space by 2060. So they looked ahead and they projected out 40 years and they said, well, in 40 years' time, space is going to be either dominated by, the, by a coalition of uh, democratic states led by the United States or... Um, it's going to be dominated by China. Now it's very interesting because they, they identified that China was the state or the nation on Earth that was going to most likely be the, the greatest threat. And, and China's economy um, is already on par or will soon exceed uh, the size of the US economy. And so by 2030, China's economy, as far as PPP is concerned, it's been estimated that it will be twice the size of the U.S. So so just think about that, that China's economy will be twice the size of the U.S. Its military will outspend the U.S. military, will outspend the uh, Pentagon, and so it really can develop uh, space supremacy, which is why the U.S. is now moving forward aggressively in setting up... uh, International space coalition. Uh, you know, most recent news was that uh, ch- uh, France just cho- uh, just signed the Artemis Accords, which is the kind of like civilian uh, component of uh, the space operations in each of the major spacefaring nations on Earth, all joining together to to collaborate as far as. Uh, moon exploration and, out, and exploration of outer space is concerned. But China's the big threat. And, and you know, uh, Mel, I honestly don't know about the Chinese aircraft carriers that have been built using AI. I know that they've uh, built uh, UAVs uh, that use AI. But if they have a, an, an aircraft carrier, then, then that just means that they're kind of moving ahead much more quickly than people uh, thought. So, yeah, definitely China is a big threat.
1: That was my point. But when it comes to space, I heard today also, I'm just, I don't mean to be bombarding you with with things that I'm getting today, but it's all relevant to this conversation. Russia is threatening to ban the export of titanium to their so-called enemies. And without titanium, any space industry dies. Don't we need a synergy with the Russians if we are to conquer space? I mean, look, we we... Banished the the space uh, shuttle, and we need to use Russia to take us up there as a taxi.
2: So, what do we do now without the Russians? Well, it's very clear that deep state has been doing its best to sabotage relationships uh, between uh, Russia and the United States. I mean, when um, Donald Trump became president, I mean he was hounded and prevented from restoring positive relationships with with Russia. And of course, that has culminated in what we are seeing today in, in the Ukraine. And that is very unfortunate because it could have so easily have been avoided through diplomatic means. And so now it's it's very sad to see Russians and Ukrainians fighting against each other because the I mean they, they are united by ethnicity, culture, and religion. And uh, it's 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 a tragedy to see what, what is happening. But the deep state wanted a war. And uh, they, they definitely manufactured a war. And a consequence of this is that they are forcing Russia to ally itself with China. And, and this is very unfortunate because what it does is it means that Russia is going to bring its incredible know-how, its history, because Russia's space program um, is... Pretty close to what the US secret space program was. I mean, the, the US had maybe a little bit bigger space program, but Russia's was just as sophisticated. And they also had been working on it since the 1940s as well. But the Chinese are, are kind of newcomers to this. So if, if you force Russia to team up with China, China's going to be the, that means that uh, China will benefit greatly because now the russians will share with them these advanced technologies because that'll be the price for for china you know buying russians, russian russian uh, energy reserves and buying russian products so that they uh, are able to withstand the international sanctions so they they're forcing the russians into the chinese camp and and that the ultimate result will be that it strengthens the hand of of China, and so you have to ask yourself: Well, why is that? Why does why does, why does the deep state want to help China develop its uh, military infrastructure and its space program using uh, Russia as its major ally? And it's and it's because the deep state plan is for China to become the dominant space power. You know, they 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 want China, the Chinese model. Of governance to become the world model. That's what the deep state wants. So they are pushing for China to become to become the dominant international model. And of course, the white hats don't want it. Uh, neither do the positive extraterrestrials. I mean, they they are they are watching events on Earth and they are tr- really trying to encourage us to solve our problems peacefully. But right now. Uh, the deep state seems to have the upper hand, you know, with the war in Ukraine, with this Biden administration, s- slowly but surely destroying the, um, uh, the the US as a vibrant nation state.
1: What I've been told is that the deep state wants to reduce the world population, and they want to keep two ethnic groups: the Chinese. And the Japanese, and the reason for that is because they have uh, been known for being in a hive mind and being easily ruled and governed for centuries. They don't want people who think for themselves. They don't want the sovereign people. They don't want the fighters. They want those who will abide and comply with whatever comes their way. Would you agree with that?
2: Yes, definitely. I think that's that's exactly what the deep state wants. It wants that hive mentality. It wants uh, the population of the earth. Uh, reduced to just that hive mindset. Uh, now, it's not going to happen. It's it's never happened in history because there is always a balance between um, those that are freedom-loving democratic peoples and those that go with empire. I mean, you could go back to the ancient Greeks. I mean, it's the same thing. The, the Persians were the ones that wanted to set up an empire, whereas the ancient Greeks were all about setting up vibrant city states and they 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 organized the coalition to fight against against the Persians and once the Persians were defeated then the the Greek coalition kind of dissolved and and I think we are in a similar model today where the u s recognizes that uh China is going to become the preeminent power on earth by twenty thirty and beyond and as far as space is concerned if 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 we don't want space to become a domain of of the chinese then we need to collaborate now of course by trying to undermine the united states by trying to undermine europe you know because this this war in ukraine is is going to destabilize europe as well because uh you know if you get millions of people flooding into Europe from Africa because they're starving, because the Ukraine wheat harvest didn't get there. You know, it's going to destabilise the Europeans um, and, and further drive Russia into the hands of, of China. And, and, and there's no doubt in my mind that eventually Russia will break from China. Um, and, you know, there's precedent for that because the, the Chinese cannot be trusted. I mean, this was something uh, that Nikola Khrushchev learned the hard way. Uh, when he made agreements with Mao Zedong back in the 1950s, he made agreements with Mao Zedong that they would share technologies and and that they they were partners in international socialism and the international communist movement. And so they made these pledges that China and and the Soviet Union would be allies for a hundred years and and it lasted I think uh, five years or six years and and then there was a great break because uh, the Khrushchev understood that the that the Chinese were not into sharing. All they wanted was Russia to share its technologies and not to give anything back. So the Chinese would take everything from the from the Soviets and not not give anything back. And 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 so the, Khrushchev realised this, and then he said, "No, we can't do this any longer." And so they broke. And so this is going to happen with 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 Russia and with China in the future. But as long as uh, Russia is like forced by international sanctions to work with uh, China, they'll they'll do it. But China and Russia are definitely not natural allies. Russia and Europe and the United States are natural allies against uh, China, um, and and so this this is why it's such a tragedy that the, the kind of like Ukraine war has led to these things. But this is all part of the deep state plan, and and we can only expose it and hope that enough people will listen to it listen to the exposure that, uh, you know, they'll, they'll solve things.
1: We had Operation Paperclip after World War II. We've got a lot of scientists from uh, for the Nazis uh, and engineers. But a lot of people don't know that the Soviets got their share of a lot of those scientists and engineers too. So do you think those are the ones who were the foundation of the space program in, in now Russia?
2: Uh, undoubtedly, yes. I mean, Russia, just as the United States got their hands on probably uh, even more German Nazi scientists than than the Americans did the, the, they, they got the numerically they got a lot of the engineers. I mean the, the United States probably got the pick of the crop in terms of, of von Braun and uh, and that group. but the Russians got everyone else. Didn't they get their and first
1: to Pinamunda, the Soviets?
2: Oh, that's, uh, uh, what was it? Um, the Soviets, they were able to get to Skoda Works, uh, w- which was what Patton uh, got. Now, right. Penamunde, uh, I, I, I don't remember if the, I think, I think that, well, definitely von Braun and his group m- made sure that they went across to the Allied um Line So that they surrendered to the Americans Now I I can't remember if they did it at Penemunde Or close to to Penemunde But definitely the Russians They got a lot of the most knowledgeable German scientists And engineers that knew about uh, UFO craft Or knew about flying saucers And they took them with them To a place called Kapustanyar and Kapustin Yar was where um, they began the Soviet space program. So, so that's where Sergei Korolev uh, came up with uh, the the Russian space program, and they built that. And at the same time, they were studying uh, the flying saucer prototypes that they had retrieved. They were debriefing the German scientists and engineers, and they also got their hands on spacecraft. Uh, extraterrestrial spacecraft, uh, just as the US got spacecraft that, that crashed in the US. So the, the Russians, and so they were, they were side by side. And so, I mean, while the US may have qualitatively had an edge on the Soviets in terms of, uh, secret space program, the Soviets were definitely not far behind. So this is why the Chinese want the, 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 the the Russians to work with them because the the Chinese need that technology. I mean, the, um, as as you pointed out earlier on, the, the Chinese are very good copycats. They're not very creative. That's that's a that's a problem that they have that they're not creative uh, because creativity flourishes in freedom. It doesn't flourish in totalitarian states. Bingo. And and so that's that's why you you need to have. Uh, freedom, because uh, that that's where the the most creative technologies are going to be developed, and so this is why the the, the Chinese are, are desperate for an alliance with Russia, so that they can get their hands on, because Russia probably has some of the most creative and uh, entrepreneurial scientists on the planet, and they're doing incredible things, because Putin, unlike. Ah, uh, the deep state in the U.S. Putin was able to start uh, preparing the Russian population for some of these technologies, and um, and and Putin really does care for his people, whereas the deep state doesn't care a hoot about Americans. You know, they're, they're they're quite happy to sacrifice Americans and destabilize the country, but but Putin has been uh, looking after his people. Uh, I, I know for a fact that uh, in in Russia they have secret cities. I mean, they they got deep underground military bases, just as the United States has. Uh, but in Russia, these are where they send the the brightest uh, young people to kind of like learn about advanced technologies. And so, so the Russians are getting ready for disclosure. They they're, they're much closer to it as a people than Americans are. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so this is why. Uh, The the Chinese really hope to pick the the brains of the Russians to understand some of these advanced technologies. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, whatever is going to happen in 10, 20, 30 years, uh, you know, totalitarian systems will always try to gather the, the, the best scientists from countries that still have freedom and democratic values.
1: Speaking of secret cities, I don't mean to, again, mix things, but have you followed Kazakhstan and uh, their new capital, Nur-Sultan or Astana? And have you seen some of the pictures coming out of that capital? Futuristic as can be. I don't know where they're getting their funds to do that. Have you seen those images?
2: Well, well, Kazakhstan was where uh, the Soviet Union uh, launched its space program from. Um, I I think that's where Baikonur is. Yep. Uh, in, in Kazakhstan and uh, so yeah they've got some advanced spaceports there and there's a lot of Russians in Kazakhstan too. So they definitely have a lot of resources there. Uh, it's a it's a vast area. I mean there's there's so much hidden underground that uh, I'm, I'm sure that you know they have laid the foundations for a, a futuristic society there in in Kazakhstan as well as uh, other areas in in Russia.
1: Let's go back to 1947. There's this man flying his plane, trying to find a a uh, uh, his little private plane. He's a man from Idaho. You're talking about Kenneth Arnold, flying saucer. The, the term came from that, I believe. Fast forward some time. Who was the first researcher or researchers and contactees who started discussing extraterrestrials? and their organizations, you know, the Galactic Federation and Asteroid Command, as opposed to just flying saucers or maybe UFOs afterwards.
2: Yeah, there were several of the early contactees that started talking about these uh, Galactic Federations. I mean, there was um, uh, George Van Tassel began talking about an Ashtar Command uh, back in um, 1952 and was actually... Uh, communicating with representatives of the Ashtar Command and and sending official letters to the US Air Force, saying that the Ashtar Command was very concerned about the development of thermonuclear weapons, and that uh, this was of, of, of something that uh, they, they believed could uh, threaten Earth's viability. If, uh, if they started uh, developing and testing these hydrogen bombs. Um, you also had Daniel Fry, who in 1952 also, be- also began having contact with extraterrestrials, and he was working with a galactic federation. So he was, uh, well, he, he described a galactic federation that uh, was monitoring Earth's development so and and this is a go- again something that uh Dolores Cannon talked about in her series of books the convoluted universe where she talked about these organizations these extraterrestrial organizations that would monitor earth's history and would kind of f- fly by and stop over from time to time um just to kind of check in see where, where we're at so it seemed that 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 early period as uh, atomic weapons were being uh, developed and and thermonuclear weapons were were being built for the first time. Uh, hydrogen bombs, which had a capacity like a thousand times greater than the uh, the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the um, the the hydrogen bomb capacity was a thousand times that. So so this was you would imagine that that yeah that would be a good reason for the Galactics showing up and suddenly saying. Uh, that we shouldn't be doing this. And it's very interesting that, and I think I talk about that in the book, uh, Robert Oppenheimer, who led the opposition to the development of thermonuclear weapons, uh, he was uh, someone that was briefed about extraterrestrials visiting us. Uh, He and Albert Einstein wrote a a paper that was leaked on uh, relationships with celestials. And so... I believe he was someone that had been contacted by one of these organisations, Galactic Federation or the Ashtar Command, and they told him, "Hey, this is very dangerous," and and um, and so he was he was uh, leading the opposition to the development of thermonuclear weapons, and and of course he was uh, denied a security. I mean, his security clearance was revoked in in unprecedented manner. I mean, this is the man that is widely credited with Enrico Fermi with developing the atomic bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki actually being denied, a security being revoked, his security clearance being revoked. So there was a hearing on it and and Eisenhower uh, kind of like didn't do anything to stop that. Why? What was it revoked? It was uh, revoked because uh, he was such an outspoken person on the development of uh, thermonuclear weapons. And... And at the time, uh, Senator McCarthy kind of led the charge that well, Oppenheimer and all these people, uh, you know, they are patsies of the of the Soviet Union because they don't want us to develop these uh, these uh, destructive weapons because that would make us susceptible to the Soviet Union. In in fact, I think the I, th- I think the the so-called communist threat, or you know, the the, the Red Scare, was actually more about the galactic threat Hmm. it was more that was i think code for the deep state trying to prevent earth scientists and the population learning that these extraterrestrial organizations were warning the earth about the dangers of thermonuclear weapons and were trying to encourage us to go down a different path where we would develop our technology technologies for peaceful purposes rather than than warfare, and that they would help us, and and that would be important because we weren't yet spiritually evolved enough for these for such destructive weapons. So I think that's really the, the the background for why it was that Oppenheimer Oppenheimer's clearance was revoked because I think he was working with the Galactic Federation and and trying to stop the U.S. and trying to trying to encourage Eisenhower. To to not allow this to go forward because Eisenhower was was very supportive of the idea of turning over all of the US's uh, nuclear infrastructure over to the United Nations and having it developed for peaceful purposes. I mean that was his famous "Atoms for Peace" speech in uh, in in I think it was November nineteen fifty three, where he went to the United Nations and and invited the uh, Soviet Union to collaborate in in turning over. All nuclear facilities to a peaceful uh, civilian entity that would be under the management of the United Nations, and that would that would be in charge of um, all of these um, nuclear technologies. So, so that I think showed that Eisenhower was working or was trying to get support for this plan that the Galactic Federation was was putting out, but. Unfortunately, it just it didn't turn out. the The Soviet Union ignored him, and um, so what what we had was the U.S. developing thermonuclear weapons. The possibility of the U.S. working with these positive extraterrestrial groups uh, was gone, and instead, the U.S. chose to work with negative extraterrestrial groups. Negative groups that didn't have a problem with the U.S. developing thermonuclear weapons because for, for them, I mean, the, the prospect of uh, the United States and and the Soviet Union going to war using uh, nuclear weapons wasn't something that was unwelcome. They, 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 would have, uh, they would have thought that that would have made the Earth easy pickings for them to just take over uh, overtly.
1: So the summer of 1952, we have the flyover over Washington, D.C., what an incredible sight for the people who lived at the time. And that happened, I believe, in two consecutive weekends. And then 1955, we have the alleged visitors meeting with Eisenhower, President Eisenhower at the Holloman Air Force Base. Do you think that flyover had any connection with that visit? Do you think they may have been the same?
2: Well, that that flyover is a real mystery, Mel. I mean, as you mentioned, um, three successive weekends, uh, there were these flyovers of Washington, D.C., and I initially thought that these were probably extraterrestrial visitors, but then uh, the more research I did, I realized that the Germans also had a very powerful space program that they had developed out of Antarctica and that uh, they had also played a role in the the Kenneth Arnold sightings because those... The sightings that uh, Kenneth Arnold had, and you mentioned earlier, I mean, he saw those uh, kind of boomerang-shaped or uh, flying wing-shaped craft. I mean, th- this was a Nazi design. The Horton brothers developed those, and, uh, and and this was a squadron. This was nine of them that were being flown by the by the German Antarctic program over the U.S. territory with impunity. And They were sending a message. And so the, the Washington flyover, I think, was another message that, uh, the Pentagon, a message to the Pentagon saying, look, you do not have anything that matches our flying saucer technologies, our advanced technologies. So you need to make a deal with us. We want to make a deal with you. We're not interested in going to war with you. World War II has come and gone. We're not interested in resuming hostilities. We just want to make a deal, and we can share technologies, and 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 you can get some of our our resources, our scientific know-how, and we'll get your resources, and, and we will be partners for expansion into space. So that was that was the pitch by the Antarctic German program, and there was also uh, positive extraterrestrials involved in those successive weekends as well. I, I don't think it was just one group that overflew um, Washington, DC. I think it was probably several groups, all trying to get the Truman administration to consider the merits of working with one group rather than rather than another. So I think that was that's important context because when Eisenhower came into power, I mean he had essentially he had Two two powerful groups of extraterrestrials wanting to reach agreements with with him and with the United States in general. One was the positive group, uh, the Galactic Federation, the Ashtar Command. Uh, those positive groups that that wanted to take Earth down a path of kind of peaceful development and banning the development and use of thermonuclear weapons, and and the other group, which which involved. These negative extraterrestrials and the Germans from Antarctica, because the Germans from Antarctica were, had already made agreements with this negative extraterrestrial group called the Draco Reptilians. You know, that happened during the Second World War, so the Germans had already been allies with these uh, Draco Reptilians for for for, um, for over a decade before the Washington flyovers in 1952. So they so they wanted so they wanted the US to reach an agreement with them, which was a de facto agreement with these draco reptilians. So this was this was the dynamic that I think happened. And at the end of the day, um, maybe not so much Eisenhower, but his national security team, uh, which was dominated by the Rockefeller family, by the way, that they decided that they would work with the Germans in Antarctica. And so uh, Alan Dulles, who was the CIA director, I mean, he was the one that was the go-between for the Antarctic Germans and the, and the U.S. Um, senior policymaking uh, community.
1: What about Operation High Jump? I, to me, it would be more plausible that if indeed Admiral Byrd's fleet, huge fleet, was kicked out of Antarctica by a more powerful force – that they came here to say, look, I know what you're trying to do, and we're here to tell you that we are surpassing you in every way. Is there a connection, in your opinion, between the flyover and, well, you're saying yes, but with the Admiral Byrd expedition?
2: Well, that Admiral Byrd high jump expedition is a very important one because in in early January, sorry, I think it was February of 1947, uh, there, there were um, three task forces, three naval task forces. There was the east, the west, and the central task force that the Navy had sent to Antarctica, ostensibly to map Antarctica, but, you know, wouldn't you know it that they that those task forces, the east and western task forces, met opposite Queen Maudland, which was where the... Nazi base was alleged to be, and and that's where they met the task force, and and so there was an actual military engagement where the where the U.S. Navy it wasn't just one aircraft carrier group it was two. Uh, I, I described this in in one of my books Antarctica's Hidden History that uh, there were two task forces, and that uh, two uh, two aircraft carrier task forces there, and that uh, they engaged with the, the Germans, and the Admiral Byrd's high jump task force lost. I mean, they they suffered devastating losses in terms of airplanes. They lost several ships. And uh, Admiral Byrd, when he went back, I mean, there's that famous uh, interview he gave uh, to Lee Van Atta from uh, the, the Chilean news agency where he talked about, um, a, a powerful new enemy that could fly from pole to pole, and that uh, this was of great concern to the United States. So he was talking about the Antarctic Germans and their allies and their extraterrestrial allies, because that was that was uh, a, an important part of the battle. That uh, I don't think it was just the Germans that were shooting down the Admiral uh, the the uh, the Operation High Jump. Aircraft that Admiral Byrd sent there it was also uh, extraterrestrials working with the Nazis that were helping them in 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 doing that um, fight against the um, the U.S. Navy.
1: El Mercurio in Chile. That's the the source. And did that ever happen again? Because I I believe it was two times. Fort of the summer of forty six and forty seven. It was supposed to last two months, and it only lasted two weeks. if the Germans had that technology, the question is, why didn't they win the war?
2: Well, that's always a, a fascinating question. I mean, uh, the Germans, uh, the, there, there were a lot of poor decisions made by, by Hitler. I mean, and you know, for example, Hitler, uh, the, the Luftwaffe was the first to develop jet fighters. And so that was a decision that they could have made early in the war, earlier in the war to build fleets of jet fighters that would have devastated the American and British bomber fleets but they that were uh, flying and bombing Germany. And that was something that by the time they realized the seriousness of the threat, it was too late, that even though they had the advanced technology, uh, they couldn't build it at, at an industrial level where... You know, we're not just talking about building one or two squadrons. You're talking about building, you know, dozens or hundreds of squadrons to be able to deal. I mean, the the Allies were sending bomber bombers fleets of like a thousand planes a night against Germany. So you couldn't just have, you know, uh, a few jet fighters. You couldn't just have a few of these flying sources because the flying sources, uh, the the Germans, were developing these. Uh, throughout the war, but primarily in Antarctica, because the German secret societies they had made it a deal with, with the Draco reptilians that they would use one of the reptilians' bases in Antarctica and build their new fleets of Hannibal flying saucers and uh, Andromeda class ships out of Antarctica, and that would be the the launch platform for the future space program and while they promised a lot of these advanced technologies to Hitler they never delivered essentially so so Hitler was under the illusion that at some point the the most advanced flying saucer prototypes that were being developed in Antarctica would be sent to Germany to be used against the allies and that and that never happened and so that's that was pretty much the end of his war effort
1: we have to take a one and only break but we have so much more to discuss I really want to get into the book as well all these different races that are interacting with us and of course this book you dedicated to those people who have not been able to come out they feel that it's not safe to, to discuss this topic but for you This book and this interview is for you because we know who you are, or we don't know who you are, but we know what you're going through. And I want you to know that we are listening and we know what you are going through. Do you want to add something to that statement, Michael, and also give us your coordinates, the book name and so on?
2: Sure. Yes, I think uh, the the contactees, uh, they are unsung heroes. I mean, the contactees going all the way back to people like George Adamski, Howard Menger, These were people that were ambassadors and they definitely were given a very tough time by hostile media and and UFO researchers at the time. Uh, The book is Galactic Federations, Councils and Secret Space Program. People can get it by going to uh, Amazon.com. Wonderful. One
1: more hour to come with Dr. Michael Sala. This is Mel Hoslerich and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first
3: part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas, because you don't want to believe, you want to know.